We're in an evening series of sermons looking at Jesus in the Psalms. And when we come to a psalm as familiar as Psalm 23, there's much to be said for C.S. Lewis's wide word about getting ourselves out of the way and letting the text do its work if we let it. Well, we know these words so well, don't we? That's the preacher's challenge when you come to a psalm like this. We've read it, sung it, heard it a thousand times. Lots of us have history with it. We have it on a sampler on the wall at home that Jean made. And tunes from Crimmon to Stuart Townend, where we'll end tonight, from U2's Love Rescue Me to Hard Goodall's Arrangement, opening TV's Vicar of Dibley. It's everywhere. These are some of the best-known words in the whole of world literature. Here's a greatly loved poem, a little masterpiece, which has been read at more deathbeds, sung at more funerals, carved on more gravestones than any other poem probably in the whole of history. And you don't have to be a Christian to catch the dignity and resonance of the words. Ah, we think we know it so well. The world's favorite poem. Words of extraordinary comfort and uplift which have resonated down the millennia in troubled human hearts. Words that signal in our cultural lexicon, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. It's deeply personal. It's individual. An opening sentence of four Hebrew words in two pairs, two about God, two about me. Audacious, breathtaking assertions. Words not of bucolic sentimentality, but of mind-blowing theology. Words to struggling people, people in turmoil, shaken by the uncertainties of life. There's something more piercing here than merely warm thoughts. Yahweh, the Lord God, capital letters, do you see that? The covenant-keeping God of Israel, the great I Am, is concerned for me. This God is my shepherd. The name comes twice in verse 1 and verse 6, the beginning and the end. This isn't something for your deathbed or your funeral. No, this psalm describes a journey, not a standstill. No, this is verse 6, an all the days of my life kind of psalm. I'm in the care of someone else. I'm not the one in charge here, no matter how much the culture dogmatically asserts that I am my own. The God of the cosmos knows me. I'm a defenseless sheep. There's a shepherd. And the shepherd is a leader and protector of inexhaustible trustworthiness and sufficiency who is shepherding. It's a participle. Me. I am provided for. He alone somehow makes the lack-nothing life a reality. I shall not want. Wow. 
I want to know the lack-nothing life, don't you? What it looks like, where I find it, whether it's real. I want to know if this life will last, if it will go the distance. I want a God who meets needs, all needs, that won't be wrong-footed by my difficulties and even by my stupidity, whose care and resources and love will never run out, whatever my circumstances, and even as I face death. Well, in a way, that's the talk. I'm worried if I may go on, I may spoil the sheer emotive uplift of this staggering opening sentence, which rings so loud and so clear. For millions of us down the centuries, these words have underlined that the with-God life and the lack-nothing life are inseparably joined in the transforming wonderful care of the one who knew this passage backwards as he did and who called himself there in John 10 the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep Jesus Emmanuel God with us as Walter Brueggemann writes it is God's companionship that transforms every situation. It does not mean there are no deathly valleys, no enemies, but they are not capable of hurt. And so the powerful loyalty and solidarity of Yahweh comfort precisely in situations of threat. But wait a minute, somebody says, what about last week? What about Psalm 22, where we were last week? Who reads Psalm 22 at the funeral or puts it on the gravestone? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? But the two openings could hardly be more different, could they? Psalm 22, yes, it prevents us from some facile conclusion that the Christian life is some carefree existence, free from concerns or setbacks. In Psalm 22, David feels forsaken by an unresponsive God. In Psalm 23, he feels shepherded by an ever-attentive God. In Psalm 22, his soul is in restless agony. In Psalm 23, it's restored to trust-fueled rest in the care of the Good Shepherd. What an extraordinary providence that these two Psalms are placed together right next to one another. You don't get to pick one or the other, you know. Believers are allowed to cry out both. Here are expressions not tied to good and bad times, but to the one God who is present in both chapters. Each illustrates the different ways we may experience the strange reality that is the life of faith in the world. We sometimes sense God's apparent silence, Other times we know his kind restoration and peace and protection. We come to realize that what has felt like abandonment was in fact a merciful nearness and shepherding of the kind we hadn't previously understood or perceived. And somehow as life goes on we discover that God's promises are infinitely more substantial and reliable than our perceptions. And so we find that the sorrows of Psalm 22 
give way to the calm vision of Psalm 23 and on to the shout of praise in Psalm 24. And the deeper reality, of course, is that both Psalm 22 and 23 are messianic. They look forward to, they foreshadow, they look ahead to Jesus, the great shepherd who has walked through death and ultimate and hellish God-forsakenness before us and for us. Well, what about shepherding? It's one of the world's oldest occupations. Shepherds are an integral feature of life. They were then, they still are today. And their work is relentless, 24-7. It's embraced on glamorous provision and protection in every age. Sheep stink. They're stubborn and difficult. They drift off. They're contrary. Well, it was a life of constant care. The shepherd was manager, protector, thinker, guide, and vet. And to the Hebrew mind, this was a rich metaphor, rich in meaning. David knew all about it. He was one. And there were, too, in the shepherd theme, powerful resonances from Genesis onwards of leadership and kingship of the activity of God himself. The shepherd of Israel is and always has been Yahweh. Shepherds had to be gentle and strong, tender and courageous, caring and fierce, just like God. At the end of his life, Jacob blessed Joseph and his sons, and he could speak of the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. Genesis forty-eight fifteen. Well, it's against this background that I want to focus for just a moment or two on what I'll call um, four phrases that may change your life. Four phrases that may change your life. And here's the first. I lack nothing. Verse 1. A word about God's sufficiency. I shall not want, as we know it perhaps less accurately from the A.V., well, we're all a rag bag of wants, aren't we? I wish I was, well, I don't know, what's your list? I wish I was fitter, thinner, cleverer, richer, a better husband, father, judge, Christian. We wake up restless in the morning, don't we, sometimes? Sometimes we feel stuck, frustrated, disappointed, not able to fix ourselves. Haunted by a sense occasionally of emptiness and futility, with no lasting comfort, with the sense that no one really has my back. My cup is never quite full enough. I feel a bit, well, empty some mornings. There are a lot of what-ifs. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. FOMO, fear of missing out. Rules in my consciousness. Well, it's the very antithesis, isn't it, of the lack-nothing life of verse 1. C.S. Lewis, I think, gets this well in Mere Christianity. He writes this, The very moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply of shoving them all back. In listening to that other voice taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in and so on all day. And what is that other voice 
That larger, stronger, quieter voice teaches about our rebel feelings. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Wow. Moses could say in Deuteronomy 2.7 of the wilderness wanderings in all their bleakness. These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. That's about the wilderness. Extraordinary. Here surely is a word to us about God's sufficiency. The sheep are cared for down to the smallest detail by someone who knows all about them and exactly what they need. And they're led, not pushed, to places of extraordinary lushness and nourishment and fertility. Verse 2. Where water really quenches thirst in an arid landscape. Where they have time to drink their fill in safety. These are sheep who ultimately let the shepherd decide what they need. Aware that in that process they will be provided for. And that whatever they need, whatever they truly need, they will not lack. However it feels like it at the time. Here are the sheep who never lack anything the shepherd thinks is good for them. Because God's care is extensive and it's all-encompassing. He knows the best roots and the lushest grazing and he has an unshakable commitment to making that happen. All we need in life is him plus what he chooses to give us. Hard to believe. But the New Testament shares exactly the same conviction. Paul in Philippians 4.19, My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Do we believe it? It's almost unbelievable. The Lord knows what I need before I do. There's immense security and rest for us as Christ's sheep in that encompassing care. So, if you're a believer, and if you know and love the great shepherd, relax a little in the sufficiency of God. He's way ahead of you in every detail. Plug your ears to the other voices hinting that you're missing out or that life is somehow second best. Have you ever seen a sheep debating with the shepherd about what's going on in its life? I suspect not. He's not going to leave you in want or need. And when you fall spiritually or in any other way, he's there to gather you up and set you straight. That brings me to my second little phrase. Verse 3. He refreshes my soul. I've called this a word about satisfaction in God. The same little phrase is there in Lamentations 1.16 where the writer protests, There is no one near to comfort me. No one to restore my soul. We, we, we feel that sometimes, don't we? And that can hurt. And that idea of comfort is there in verse 4 of our psalm too. The shepherd's rod and staff do that for us. 
Years ago, hiking in Donegal, I remember coming on a sheep on its back. Some of you will have had that experience, and we hauled it over. It looked half dead, but once righted, it scampered off, restored. That happens to sheep. They fall on their backs, and gases or something build up, and they lose their center of equilibrium or center of gravity, and they can't right themselves. And given a day or two of that, they're dead. How many times do we find ourselves on our backs, spiritually, unable to get up? Ezekiel 34 is probably the great shepherd chapter of the Old Testament. It's well worth a read. It's stuffed with uh, good things about this metaphor. But there we read the Lord saying at verse 16, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. The shepherd God is in the restoration and refreshment business. He gives life to the dead. He restores our souls so that we can stand again and walk and feed and hold our own as part of the flock. He picks us up. Psalm 19 verse 7 gave us a clue principally how that's done. Do you remember? It's by getting to grips with the word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect. Finish the sentence. Refreshing the soul. We need that, don't we? We want it. Remember Jesus, the true shepherd's words in John 10, 27? My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. But not only does the shepherd pick us up, he guides us and sets us in a direction so that we get it right. Verse 3, he guides me along the right paths. He points me to the way of life that will make for my true flourishing and significance. This is the God who Psalm 145, 17 tells us is righteous in all his ways. And here's the shock. You you may not have seen this. I'm not sure I had. Why does God do this for me? End of verse 3. For his name's sake. Now, there are no doubt many reasons why God saves us and guides us. He loves us. He wants the best for us. He's got a plan for us. He's got our best interests at heart. All that is gloriously true. But here's the ultimate reason. God acts faithfully, lovingly, and never gives up on us. Because of his own honor. This shepherd is supremely proud of his good name. And if I thought for a single moment that God's faithfulness to me depended on me being faithful to him or performing well or being a, a, you know, getting to a good, hitting a good Christian standard or living up to a certain expectation, then I'd give up in a heartbeat. But to know that God the shepherd has bound his reputation with getting the job done with me transforms my whole personal landscape. As Paul put it, from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Here's a third phrase. You are with me, verse 4. A word about security with God. 
the valley of the shadow of death, the darkest valley, is not where any of us wants to be, but it's a reality. We're tempted to say when life is overwhelming us, if we were truly his, we'd never travel into such places in the first place. No, no Christian is promised that the journey to the new creation will be one without seasons and circumstances which feel overwhelming. Quite the opposite. There was plenty to fear in the craggy wadis and dark ravines of Judah. So too Christians are pilgrim sheep who haven't reached our eternal rest. We're not there yet. We're on the journey. And until we do so, there seem to be dangers and pitfalls everywhere. And at times we can feel paralyzed by fear, can't we? What changes everything? Those four English words, you are with me. (laughs) Fantastic. I'm no longer afraid of any evil doing for me. No matter how uncertain or disorientating or alienating the world may become, we can never be lost. Do you see the strategic change in language in verses 4 and 5, from he to you, from the third person to the second? Do you see that? I wonder if that's because the crises of life draw us closer to God. We're more inclined, aren't we, to talk about God when we're in the green pasture and it's all going well. And we're more prone to cry out to God when it's not going well and we're absolutely scared senseless. Valleys like this bring us face to face with God and the ultimate then becomes intimate. And when I'm going through a valley, I don't want to talk about God. I want to talk to him. Religion somehow suddenly is all about a relationship. God becomes real. And he says in your head, I'm with you. I'm with you. How many mature believers have you talked to that will tell you the times they've been closest to God are when they have been face to face with him in those valleys? But why would a sheep come to be in such a place of extreme danger? Because they've wandered off? Possibly. But verse 4 follows verse 3. And the reason the sheep is in this dark valley is because the shepherd is guiding and leading it. And why would a shepherd lead sheep into a valley filled with danger and death threats? Isn't the only possible answer to get to some better place? For the shepherd knows the very best places. And the Lord leads us towards things that make us more like him, that make us more fully human, that round off some of our rough edges. And sometimes that's green pastures, and sometimes it's following him into some very dark shadows indeed. Why, Lord, we cry, why me? And along the way, God may deploy the club or rod for defense and the staff or crook for discipline and rescue. The good shepherd fights for you and for your future and for your well-being. He has plans and a route for you. Never be paralyzed by anxiety about the future. 
or be debilitated by the darkness of the present. Jesus knows he's there. Look, valleys are inevitable. They're unpredictable. They're indiscriminate. They can hit any of us. Before you get home tonight, any of us could be plunged into deep shadow. Let's not pretend that the shadows are good or easy. They're not. But they're also temporary and purposeful and upbuilding. Shadows are just image without substance. They're just shadows. And your shepherd, Jesus, is the light of the world who has defeated death itself. And the valleys, well, they're never the destination. See that word through in verse 4. Do you see that? Through. The valleys are only ever the hallway leading somewhere else. God himself, as we'll see at the end, is the the psalmist's destination on this journey. Christian security in hard times is revolutionized by the power and presence of God who says, I am with you. You will never go through a single dark day alone. Well, life-changing phrases from Psalm 23. I lack nothing. A word about God's sufficiency. He refreshes my soul. A word about satisfaction in God. You are with me. A word about security in God. There's just time for a fourth. Verse 6. My cup overflows. A word about eternity with God. Well, the metaphor changes in verses 5 and 6. You'll have seen that. From out of doors to indoors. From sheep and a shepherd to guests and a host at a banquet. From guidance and journeying to arrival and partying. My divine host has prepared a table before me. And it's not a secret feast, but it's enjoyed in the presence of my enemies. Because when he satisfies the soul, that, friends, cannot be hidden from the world. It's wonderfully lavish. It's something we get excited about. We want to talk about it. And there are perfumed oils from my head, and my cup overflows. It's a metaphor of extravagant abundance and ultimate satisfaction. And the point of verse 5 is not that life now is some sort of big believer's party. It is that those times of soul refreshment here are just a little foretaste of the ultimate satisfaction which is still to come in the place where we belong, our true home. And then, then... We shall look back at so many things that have perplexed us and disturbed us. And we'll see for sure that even in the dark valleys, God's goodness and love have been daily pursuing us like a couple of undercover agents relentlessly on our case. That's the sense of follow here in verse 6. It's a strong word. The undercover agents of God's goodness and love pursuing me on my case Day after day. If you're a follower of Jesus as your shepherd, and I so hope you are, he's determined to get you home, to be with him, however hard a journey it is. And that's that's encouraging, at least to me. I hope to you.
More than that, he has staked his reputation on it, and he has given his life to make it happen. Why would you not want to trust Jesus, the Good Shepherd? Could there be anything sadder than your relative saying, let's have the 23rd Psalm at the funeral, if that wasn't true for you? This psalm is all about Jesus. He's the good shepherd who protects us and leads us, and carries us, and knows when we need green pasture and cool water, and he leads us to them. He's the one who by his spirit is with us moment by moment, whatever life is throwing at us. But, you know, he's also the host who held a meal in that upper room the night before he died, when enemies were all around, who prepared a table who talked of going to prepare a place for us, who the next day laid his soul in the grave so that ours could be restored, and who allowed the valley of the shadow of death to swallow him so that it might become a highway to the new creation for us, who gave his life in body and blood to be the meal we needed at that party when we had nothing but enmity towards him. And as we entrust ourselves to this shepherd, he takes his rod and his staff, and he trains our feelings to follow him, to love him, to need him, to fear him. And he teaches us day by day that as long as we remain near him, we will lack nothing, be spiritually refreshed, know his companionship, and ultimately be in his immediate and glorious presence forever. As the musicians come to join us before we sing inevitably the 23rd Psalm in a modern setting, uh, let's pray together. Revelation 7.17 says, The Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Lord Jesus, help us to know you, trust you and love you as our wonderful, all-sufficient shepherd and king, now and always. Amen.